0: So if you have a Bible, go ahead and, and grab it. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, um, looking at verses 31 through 45. Um, uh, if you do not have a Bible, there are some at the back. Um, and if you don't own a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. Um, you can keep that. And also, it will be on the screen behind me. So, um, But in your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 verses 31 through 34, just to kind of give you an, an overview and an idea of where we've been at in our series through Daniel, um, especially last week. Last week, in the, we looked at the first 30 verses of chapter 2, and we saw how Daniel really stood apart. Daniel and his peers stood apart from all of the other king's wise men, from King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. So they So Daniel stood apart from the magicians, from the enchanters, from the sorcerers, and even the Chaldeans. And when King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that his dream be interpreted, none of his wise men could do it. And they even told the king that what he had requested was impossible, that no one in the flesh could do that. Only the gods could explain and interpret that dream. And Daniel then steps in and says, God can do the impossible. And so really what this showed us last week, what we looked at as we saw how God was at work in the midst of this, this really shows us that for man, there will always be human inability. There will always be human inability, but for God, he has shown his almighty power because nothing is impossible for God and nothing is impossible with God. So then we, we saw in the middle of King Nebuchadnezzar's a lead army general going out to kill all the wise men for not being able to interpret the dream in the midst of this, Daniel sought god he, he reasoned with this man and and then he sought God, he sought God through prayer and he sought God through worship, and then God revealed the dream to him and so in verse twenty seven and twenty eight of chapter two we we saw as Daniel is telling the king before interpreting the dream, he says to him in verse 27 and 28 that no wise men, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And so really now in our text, as we see through verses 31 through 45, we're gonna see Daniel stand before King Nebuchadnezzar to reveal to him the interpretation of his dream that God has given. That really this story, as we look at it, about Daniel, it's not about how awesome Daniel is and all the great things Daniel has done. It's how God is at work and how God has done great things and revealed great things. And so now Daniel is standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and is going to reveal both the dream and its interpretation. And so we're going to read Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given whatever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, It shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay." And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold." A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So this right here in chapter two is one of the most pivotal chapters in in the Old Testament because Daniel chapter two really contains important truths about world history, but with an important detail. It's world history from God's point of view. And so what is interesting about this that I think is important to note as we go to unpack this is that this revelation wasn't given to a prophet. It was given to a pagan king in a dream. And so in Daniel chapter 2, we see God reveal the rise and the fall of earthly kingdoms and his lasting kingdom. And so what we're going to see in our text today and what our sentence and your fill-in-the-blanks for you this morning is that earthly kingdoms are temporary and fragile, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. And so Daniel begins telling the dream of a great, if not oddly constructed statue who is eventually struck by a rock that, that Daniel says is not cut by man, which then destroys the statue, leaving no trace at all while an all-consuming mountain takes its place. And so Daniel begins to explain this, this statue and show that it represents four major kingdoms. And the identifications are really revealed from the workings of history matched with prophecy in scripture. That really the historical outline we can see looks something like this. That the head of gold, the Babylonian kingdom, is, is ruled through 612 through 539 B.C., And then the Medo-Persian Empire, which is 539-331 B.C., represents the chest that's silver. The belly, thighs, the bronze, is Greece, 331 through 63 B.C. And then the legs and the iron represents Rome, which is 63 B.C. to 476 A.D. And so Daniel really begins to break this down, that that he's already said that the Babylonian and specifically Nebuchadnezzar's reign was the head of gold, which we see in verse 38. And then Babylon fell to the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which we see in Daniel chapter 5. And then in Daniel chapter 8, 10, and 11, if you read on, it shows that Greece became the successor of the Medo-Persian empire. And then, final, you see the Iron Empire, which is Rome. But here's the thing that I think is really important as we look at these different earthly kingdoms is that each is lesser in value and glow and glory than the previous kingdoms. And what's interesting also to point out is each significantly reigned in their own time, but each had a beginning and had an end. And so, ultimately, in the midst of all of these earthly kingdoms, each kingdom still falls and cannot hold it together. But it's not because of structural instability. It's, it's not their undoing. It's not that if they looked at that and said, listen, man, if we could only create a better version of ourselves, then we would never fall. We would never be without our kingdom. The, the real reason these kingdoms eventually fall is because of man's own sin. And so there's much we can learn from the vision of, these, of this statue. That kingdoms of this world may look in their way intimidating and attractive, but they are temporary and fragile. That, that these can look and appear like wonderful kingdoms, but they're temporary and they're fragile. That everything that looks valuable and long-lasting will all be dust in the wind, never to be seen or felt or held again. And so we look at human history at this constant progression of of better and better. That, That This is what we see. We're always trying to improve upon ourselves the kingdom that we're trying to pursue. Only here on earth is a kingdom of making ourselves look better. But this is not the trajectory laid out on how God wants us to see his working in his story. And so really, as we look at this, there's a difference of perspective going on here. That many scholars, in fact, have, have contrasted Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2 with Daniel's vision in chapter 7. And I'm jumping ahead here. You may not have read Daniel 7, but I encourage you to go read Daniel 2 and then Daniel 7 and look at that contrast. That, that both passages reveal the coming world kingdoms, but the symbolism is strikingly different in the two. That really you have the the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar that sees kingdoms of this world that he describes as a towering work of art, impressive in size and value and glory. And Daniel sees the same kingdoms as bizarre, unnatural, beastly, terrifying, and, and both in aspect and behavior. And so you have these two different perspectives. So where man sees a glorious, glimmering tribute to himself, God sees foolishness and a temporary vain glory of self. And so this is important because if we get too focused on the details of the statue and try to marry up all the parts of world history, we're really missing the entire point of this passage, that it's not about the statue. It's about the rock and the mountain that the, the, the details of the, of the statue are important, but really the end result is that it's about the rock and the mountain. And so really it points us to the kingdom of God, that in verse 44, Daniel begins to describe the final kingdom, a kingdom that he says shall never be destroyed, a kingdom that will not be left to another people. A kingdom that shall break all other kingdoms and bring them to an end, but that this kingdom shall stand forever. This is the kingdom of God. That where all other kingdoms are temporary and fragile, God's kingdom is unshakable and stands forever. This is what we see all throughout Scripture regarding the kingdom of God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, later in the New Testament. The writer says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Also in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so really what Daniel is communicating is foreshadowing the kingdom of God to come. And also Jesus tells us about seeking and putting first the kingdom of God when he shares in his Sermon on the Mount that we should seek the kingdom of God above any other earthly kingdom. It says in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So really the the words of Jesus here are, are a clear direction for us that we're to seek the things of God as a priority over the things of this world. We're to seek the things of God over the priorities, whatever they are, of this world. So really, this, this dream and this interpretation shows us the weight and the promise that God reveals through Daniel, that in the end, ultimately, it will be God's kingdom that shall stand forever, that there's no other kingdom that will stand like God's kingdom. And so really what this does is it then points us to the good news of the gospel. That through Christ, when we put our faith and our hope and our belief in Christ, we have access to a father and his kingdom that will never be shaken and never be destroyed. But really for us this morning, how do we truly put our focus first on God's kingdom? I think that question is important and there's there's follow-up questions that we have to ask. We have to ask, where am I primarily spending my time? Where am I putting the bulk of my energy? Is my time and my money spent on things that are gonna perish and pass away because I'm putting them on earthly kingdoms? Or, or is it that my time and my attention and my resources and my affection is all put towards God, all put towards the works of God? the results of which then are eternal. And so this is important for us to ask, if we're to seek first the kingdom of God, then what are we seeking that's keeping us from his kingdom? And then what Daniel describes next in verse 45 is a rock. And he describes this rock that will destroy all the other earthly kingdoms, that the rock shatters all kingdoms in history, and then a mountain will consume eternity. And so really we see a foreshadowing of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the rock and the mountain is his kingdom. And so here's what I wanna encourage you in with this perspective, as we look at the difference between the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar and the perspective of Daniel as God reveals to him, is that Nebuchadnezzar is focused on the statue, but Daniel is focused on the lasting kingdom. And so for us, what that means is we don't worry about the statue. We stand on the rock and the hope in every glorious and growing mountain that is his kingdom. So we don't look to the statue wondering if we're on the head or are we on the knee or even how great or how fragile we are. We look to Jesus Christ. That is what the focus is for us as followers of Christ. That even in Matthew 6, this is what Jesus is communicating when he says, put your focus first on the kingdom, that in this section of Matthew 6, he's speaking about the anxieties and the focuses of the world. Don't worry about what tomorrow may bring. Don't focus on worrying, focus on worshiping, that you would put first the kingdom of God. Because what then Daniel clarifies is that the kingdom of God will stand forever. In verse 45, Daniel brings it back to giving the glory to God and communicating where Daniel's own hope and his focus lies. Daniel says this to the king. He says, God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Not not I, not my wonderful thinking and and, and my favor. It's God alone who has made this known. It is God who has made this known. And see, later in chapter three, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has a completely different perspective than Daniel, not just in their two interpretations paralleled between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, but we see even later that, that here where Daniel sees God's hand at work and the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, foreshown as a rock that will crush other kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar is focused on his head of gold that he's the head over all of the kingdoms and he misinterprets the dream and we'll see later that he in fact then makes a statue to appear as this. See, the, the two different perspectives here are vast. You have one focused on an earthly kingdom that's temporary and, foul, and, and fragile and you have another who's focused on the kingdom of God that will stand forever. Now see, earlier I referenced Matthew 6 where we see Jesus preaching his Sermon on the Mount and where he talks about the kingdom of God. And later towards the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he describes two builders that have two different houses on two different foundations where the first one is built upon the rock and the second is built upon sand. And he says in Matthew chapter 7, we see this in verses 24 through 27. 27. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. See, what we learn from our text today in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2 it is to put our hope and our focus and our attention on worldly kingdoms would be foolish. Remember, in the midst of Daniel's interpretation, his life has been threatened. He has been the only one who says, I have a God who can interpret this, and he's remained faithful. Think about this for the second, that the context of where Daniel's in, that the king wants his, in his dream interpreted so that he can understand the vastness of this statue, the vastness of what he is then focused on as his kingdom. But we see that this is foolish, where Daniel is focused on the kingdom that lasts that when we focus ourselves completely on Christ, the, the rock, and we seek first the kingdom of God, then we're seeking to be built on what is solid and what will last. Because really, in the end, we need to remember, it's God's kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It's God's kingdom that will be left to not another people. It's God's kingdom that shall break all other kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it's God's kingdom that shall stand forever. So here's, here's my encouragement to you. Our application from the text is seek first the kingdom of God. That you would have the target of your affections, your hope, and your worship moved from the things of this world, the, the kingdoms of this world, to the creator of this world, to the kingdom of God where we would not seek what is earthly for our own glory and for our own gain, but that we would seek first God's kingdom. Let's pray.